0: Are you ready to learn about great sleep?
1: I'm more than ready.
0: Wow. You have a lot of energy today.
1: It's because I've been sleeping so well. The sleep experts at Mattress Firm match us with the
0: right mattress. And the perfect pillows. They knew everything about sleep and which mattress and bedding accessories would help with hot sleep and back pain. You
1: sound like a changed person.
0: I am. Plus, we have 120 nights to make sure we love it.
1: And all we have to do was visit our local Mattress Firm store and their sleep experts help with the rest.
2: when you go to a friend's for dinner and you get talking, or you go out on the land on a boat, or go outside anywhere on a walk, and you're just kind of relaxing and chilling out, and then you get back into the house and look at a clock, you're like, oh God. <laughs> it wasn't like five hours later than I thought it was, because the sun did not go down. And I did not realize, because my brain didn't tell me that that wasn't normal.
3: <laughs> when most of us say on top of the world, We usually mean it metaphorically, as in being in a good mood or in a good place. But for Addie Scott, top of the world is a very real location that she calls home.
2: You think of like Canada and North America on a map and go as far north as you can and west without getting into Alaska and you find Inuvik.
3: Addie is a coordinator for Community Greenhouse in Inuvik, Canada a city located in the Arctic Circle. Because of its extreme north location and the tilt of our planet's axis, people who live there experience 56 days of continuous sunlight every summer and about 30 days of polar night in the winter.
2: So in the summer, I usually just like make sure that I try not to go outside past like 11 p.m. And if I do, I get very confused and my brain's like, Kate, it's time to go to work now, it's the morning. <laughs> wow! But it's great for waking up in the morning because it's just bright all the time. And in the winter, man, it's hard to get out of bed.
3: <laughs> in most inhabited places on the planet, we can rely on signals from the sun to let us know when it's time to go about certain parts of our day. So for Addy, who moved to Inuvik from Yorkshire in the United Kingdom, the endless days and continuous nights something she had to get
2: used to. It's honestly, like, I mean, it sounds like a cliche. It's nothing I've ever experienced before, and it's nothing I could have imagined before.
3: It's a very unique thing that few humans will ever witness in their lives. And while whole populations have learned to thrive in this environment, it still comes with its own set of challenges. I also sat down with Dr. Stephen Lockley, a neuroscientist and associate professor of medicine at Harvard University to talk about what these unique and extreme day and night periods do to our minds, our bodies,
4: and of course, our sleep. We've not evolved as humans to live in constant darkness or constant light. We can override it with the use of electric light or, or light avoidance in the summer, but clearly there are still some hangover effects of, of the light environment. It's not exactly the same as living further south. And so, yes, we do find the further north you go, there is a bigger risk to health. Despite the risk, people have figured out how to adapt, with evidence showing that
3: humans may have first migrated deep into the Northern Hemisphere as far back as 30,000 years ago. Today, we're going to look at what sleep is like in the Arctic Circle, a place with light and dark cycles that seem alien to the rest of the world, and where the adaptability of its residents is a testament to the ingenuity of the human race on this episode of Chasing Sleep, when the sun doesn't sleep. Hi, I'm Anahad O'Connor, and this is Chasing Sleep, an iHeart Radio production in partnership with Mattress Firm. Located 2,000 miles north of Seattle and with only one road connecting it to the rest of the globe, Inuvik, Canada is one of the most remote yet interesting places on earth. Most of the Arctic Circle is so extreme that despite some modern settlements, a lot of the land remains completely untouched. The wildlife found here is some of the most unique. The forests are dense and lush. The waters are clear and blue. The day lasts an entire season. And the nights are illuminated by the amazing northern lights.
2: It's basically like real-life Narnia is the best way to describe it. So after I finished my master's, I didn't know where to go, so I threw a dot at a map, and um, this was the closest place it landed. So wow. here I am, doing the things.
3: <laughs> wow. So you really did that and decided, okay, that's where I'm headed, and, and how did you figure out you know, how you were going to get there and prepare for it and and make a life there.
2: I actually just kind of zoomed in on Google Maps and was like, wow, there's like really nothing there. And then kind of zoomed in a little bit closer and then found the names of the towns like surrounding it. And then just looked for like volunteering and job opportunities to travel and then found a place working with sled dogs and working with them. And emailed, called them was like, hey, do you guys have sled dog training jobs? Is that a thing? Um, And they said, yeah, and I worked for them for like eight months, left on a road trip and then got a job at the greenhouse.
3: So while it must be pretty amazing to be surrounded by so much beauty, how do you handle the unique times of total light and dark that come with living in Anuvik?
2: It's kind of amazing, really. Like in the summer, it happens so fast that you go from darkness to, like, 24-hour daylight, basically. So I know officially it's 24-hour daylight for one month, but the sun, even though it sets a little bit, is still light for, like, three months either side of that. It's really, really cool. And I don't know, you have no idea what time it is, any time of day. And if you're really bad at wearing a watch or keeping your phone on you, like I am, you're just like Beth, but wondering the whole time. You have no idea what time it is. You'll be like going for a walk with the dog or hanging out with some friends and you'll look outside and be like, it's still light. Maybe it's 10 p.m. Maybe I'll go to bed. And it's like 5 a.m. And uh, you're like, oh, it's the next day. Oops.
3: <laughs> so that's constant daylight and then the opposite happens in the winter.
2: Yeah, the winter is 24-7 darkness. But it's kind of amazing because you get the northern lights the whole time. Like in the middle of the day, you'll be like walking to work to do there's just be amazing lights in the sky (laughs) wow so i think i in terms of like sleeping the winter is so much easier just because it's dark all the time that's kind of nice but in the summer we play operation nighttime in my house because you have to like just close all the windows all the curtains like cardboard on to block out the light at like 10 p.m just run around the house play operation nighttime so you can sleep oh my god
3: (laughs) so i'm guessing operation nighttime is a technique for adapting to the constant light so can you walk us through exactly what that looks like
2: yeah so when it hits 10 p.m i have a little alarm on my phone to remind me to do it otherwise i just yeah i have no idea that it's that time and then go around, and we have, like, blackout blinds on all of the windows. Um, so me and my housemates, we go around and, like, have a room each. (laughs) We just go and pull them all down. And the most important one I always forget is to close my bedroom curtain. so when I go into my bedroom, it's dark. Uh, (laughs) but, yeah, it's just remembering to do it, setting an alarm, and pulling those blackout blinds down, making it nighttime.
3: It sounds like a great way to recreate night and also a pretty interesting reminder of just how important the darkness is to signaling sleep mechanisms in our brains. But prepping the house is one thing. What's it like to work in this environment?
2: I mean, gardening is very seasonal anyway, but it's more extreme here. So the gardening season now like starts in May when it gets warm enough because we just get the light back then. And then in September is when we start to get what you call like the average day with like a normal sunset sunrise kind of thing. But that's when it starts to get really cold here through the summer. It's amazing. I'm working in the greenhouse. The plants love the 24 hour daylight.
3: <laughs> mm, <laughs> they grow like yeah. crazy. So I'm curious how the plants respond over there to these periods of extended sunlight and, and darkness.
2: With veggies, especially if you look on the back of a seed packet, radishes would normally be like one to two months to get, a fully grown radish for the good old salad. Here, it's like three weeks. Wow. Everything <laughs> grows crazy fast.
3: Incredible. So the plants love the summer, but what does life look like for the people here with such dramatic shifts in seasons?
2: Honestly, you really recognize a shift in people's like behavioral patterns, which I find really interesting. Really? Yeah. So in the summer, people are like, active going for walks you spend like so much time on the land and like you're out as much as you possibly can be um wow. and we're in a delta here too so there's so much water and lakes and rivers so people wow. are often at like in canoes or on a boat and you just spend as much time outside as you can Oh, like yeah
1: mm.
2: it's amazing and then as you like shift into getting colder and then in the winter, everyone basically just hibernates and does crafts.
3: <laughs> does crafts. <laughs> yeah.
2: Keep yourself busy during the like the winter months. That's a traditional thing as well. Like crafts and making things is a very big winter tradition, especially for the women up here too, because there's just mm. less hunting and less gathering you can do on the land. That's true of people's like natural rhythms too. When it gets really cold outside, and you're like, okay. Conserve the energy.
3: So what about holidays or celebrations? Is there a way that everyone ushers in these huge seasonal changes?
2: So as soon as the sun rises for the first time in a month, January 6th this year, and we have a massive sunrise festival. So Mm. everyone comes out, it only rises for like maybe 30 seconds. So it's still really dark. (laughs) But everyone comes out and celebrates, and um, we have like fireworks, and everyone makes food, and we hang out. And yeah, because the population is very small, so it's like 3,000 people. And the same thing in the summer, we have like winter markets with the town. So Mm. there's always like a really big celebration in the winter and the summer. Just of like, hey, this is the longest day of the whole year, technically. Um, And this is the first sunrise of the year. Let's celebrate these things, because it's amazing that we get light back, or like the light then goes away.
3: And um, what about the people there who've lived there for decades or centuries? Have there been any ways that they've been affected by this kind of living?
2: Yeah, I mean, I know in maybe not even just Canada, but across the entire like circumpolar and circumarctic globe, that there's a thing called midnight summer craziness. <laughs> so people <laughs> people do go a little bit loopy-loo in, in the summer just because you just don't sleep as much. But I know that in the past, and this is speaking just from general knowledge, that people generally who were Indigenous and lived on the land were really good at just following the animals and living with their families and kids are just playing out at like 5 a.m like 2 a.m because it doesn't really matter so people have more like a a nap culture and kind of just sleep whenever they want Mm. to
3: (laughs) so do you feel like you've adapted to this like your circadian rhythm for example has adapted to this or is it something that's still jarring for you after several years of living in this
2: I actually i kind of like it yeah i think i've got used to it for sure
3: And what about your sleep quality? Do you notice a difference in your sleep when it's extended periods of sunlight versus extended periods of darkness?
2: Definitely at the beginning. Yeah. Like in my first maybe six months here, Mm. it was pretty difficult. But then I learned about Operation Nighttime in the house.
1: (laughs) So
2: um, I've like really taken that to heart and employed that thoroughly.
3: When I talked about the challenges that Addy faces with Dr. Stephen Lockley, he reiterated the extremely important role that our eyes play and what the perception of brightness or
4: darkness does in our brains. So the first thing to think about is what's happening at the eye as opposed to what's happening in the environment. It's the eye that detects the light to tell the brain whether it's day or night, which then in turn resets our circadian clock, our 24-hour clock, which then in turn tells the brain when to sleep, when to be awake, when to eat, and so on and so forth. The environment doesn't always match what happens at the eye. If you're in constant light, when you close your eyes, you create a light-dark cycle at the eye. So the brain doesn't see constant light because you close your eyes to go to sleep. So in that situation, closing your eyes then helps to reset our circadian clock.
3: We'll be right back after a brief message from our partners at Mattress Firm.
0: This is all just so fascinating. I feel like I'm on my way to becoming an expert in sleep. You're going to need to know a lot more
1: for that. The sleep experts at Mattress Firm have over 200 hours of training.
0: What? I didn't know that. No wonder it was so easy for them to help us find the perfect mattress and bedding accessories.
1: And so quick.
0: That too. I've never been matched
1: like this before. It's
0: perfect. They knew everything about sleep and which mattress and bedding accessories would help with hot sleep. And back pain.
1: Now we get to try our new mattress out for 120 nights to make sure we love it.
0: I could spoon you. You could spoon me. Our five-year-old could sleep in the bed. Our two-year-old could sleep in the bed. We could try out lots of different ways just to make sure that we love it.
1: And Mattress Firm carries high-quality mattresses for every price point.
0: I have already been getting the best rest, honey.
1: And if we have any questions, we can visit our local Mattress Firm store or find 24-7 help online at mattressfirm.com.
0: And their sleep experts will help with the rest.
3: And now back to Chasing Sleep. Light, or lack thereof, obviously plays an important role in not just the quality of our sleep, but the timing of it as well. We see effects on sleep from the sun and the lights in our homes, even the light from our cell phones. Addie has to black out her entire home every night when it's constant daylight. So what about the opposite of that? What sort of challenges
4: would we see in our sleep living
3: in constant darkness?
4: So, in modern day, obviously, we have electric light, we have man made light. In the past, there may have been firelight or, or gaslight. Mm. And so, it would be unusual to be in complete darkness for that entire time. And again, if you create a light dark cycle through whatever source of light, you're providing a time cue to the brain to tell the brain when it's day or night. Mm. Now, there are scenarios that are similar to what you've just described. Uh, And for a lot of my career, I've studied the impact of blindness Hmm. on circadian rhythms and sleep. Interesting. So if you don't have eyes, or if you have an eye disorder, which completely stops any light perception, then your brain is essentially in constant darkness. And in that situation, individuals have a disorder because they can't entrain, they can't synchronize their daily clocks to a light dark cycle. And they, in fact, run on their own internal time. And that causes problems when you're trying to live in a 24-hour world. So there are scenarios where people do live in complete darkness. But we always have to keep in mind what the environment is and then what the retina, what the eye is receiving. And so most of us still live in a light-dark cycle, even if we're at those extreme northern latitudes.
3: Mm, Got it.
4: And I'm curious, what
3: role does melatonin play in all of this? It seems like melatonin, from what I understand,
4: your body produces it based at least in part in uh, light signals to the brain. With internal melatonin, your natural melatonin, doesn't need light or dark to be released. It's released automatically by the circadian clock. Mm. And so the clock sends a signal to the pineal gland, which is where melatonin is released from. And that will happen on a 24-hour pattern, even though there's no light-dark cycle. Hmm. So in the blind people I was talking about earlier, they still have a daily signal, or daily pattern of melatonin. It just can't be synchronized to the light-dark cycle. But if you have eyes, if you can detect light, then melatonin cycles so that it's maximum at night and minimum in the daytime. It isn't a sleep hormone, which sometimes people often think it is. It's a darkness hormone. And so it tells the brain it's night. Now in humans, that means go to sleep. And so melatonin means go to sleep. In humans, dark and sleep go together. And so what that melatonin signal does, it helps the brain tell the difference between night and day. Now, if you shine a light at your eyes at night, then your melatonin will be stopped. So when the brain sees light, it thinks daytime. It suppresses your melatonin, it makes you more alert, it increases your heart rate, it increases your temperature because naturally the only time you would see light is in the daytime. So when we expose ourselves to light at night, we're confusing the body clock, we're confusing the brain because light means day. Another thing I wanted to
3: ask you about, which I I find really fascinating, is there's been some literature more and more in recent years looking into this phenomenon of uh, biphasic sleeping where, you know, before the dawn of electricity, people went to bed very early, as soon as the sun set, In many cases, you know, they may have woken up in the middle of the night to do all sorts of things by candlelight or to do some agricultural work and then would go
4: back to sleep until the sun came up. Do you have any thoughts on this phenomenon? It's a very interesting observation and whether we've, you know, what we've done to change our our behavior in modern times. And first of all, we have to think again about light sources. You just said people got up to do things by candlelight. Well, that wouldn't have a very big impact on your circadian rhythms or sleep.
3: Ah, that's a good point. So even in a biphasic sleeping cycle, you would still need a source of light for any period or being awake. It's not like this would be effective to get up in the middle of the night, say, and try to be productive in complete darkness.
4: So these are low levels of light, which have minimal impact on your circadian rhythms and alertness. If you expose people to a longer night, their melatonin profile lengthens. And so what the melatonin signal does in the brain is tell the brain how long night is. In the summer, you will have a shorter SCOTO period, a shorter night period, and produce melatonin for a shorter time. Then in the winter, as you expand the night, your melatonin profile expands and gets longer. So humans still have the capability to change their biology based on season through this change in in melatonin. And what probably happened is if you don't have electric light to stay up, you would go to bed earlier. You could all try that yourselves. Don't turn an electric light on after dusk and see if you go to bed earlier. I suspect you probably will. If you've got nothing to do but lie in bed in the dark, the chances are you're gonna sleep for longer. (laughs) And we override each and every day our natural biology by having access to light after dusk. Mm. And no light after dusk is normal. We would never see substantial amounts of light after dusk with a natural light-dark cycle. So all of it is changing our biology. And in fact, what's happened is all of us are shifted later than we should be. We all go to bed too late based on the natural rhythms. And we all probably sleep less than we would have done in the past, at least based on that natural cycle. So biphasic sleeping was likely the natural result of the
3: day-night cycle in a world with little or no human-made light sources. And... As we evolved and built electric light and we began using light sources like our smartphones, we fundamentally changed our day-night cycle. I guess that really shows just how incredibly impactful perceptions of light and dark are on our brains. But I am curious, are there other aspects of our biology that can be disrupted by these types of extreme
4: day-night cycles? So the circadian clock, the 24-hour body clock, controls much more than sleep. And so we know that the clock will control many hormones. We've mentioned melatonin. Mm -hmm. Cortisol is another strongly circadian hormone. But the patterns of your performance, your mood, your immune function, reproductive function, metabolism, both glucose and lipid metabolism, bone metabolism, many of these body systems are controlled by your circadian clock in the brain and also circadian clocks that we have in the periphery and so if you have disruption of the clock mainly through a change in light-dark cycles then all the other body systems that are controlled by the clock will also be disrupted and so if we use shift workers as an example of circadian disruption we find that shift workers have a much higher risk of things like uh, heart disease diabetes, depression, some cancers, because of these different body systems that are interrupted when we try and reverse our cycle and and stay awake at night and sleep in the day that many shift workers do. Now, if we're thinking of an environment where the environment is 24 hours of light, remember again, when you go to sleep, you close your eyes and create a light dark cycle. So there won't necessarily be much in the way of circadian disruption if you keep a stable sleep pattern. So if you are in Alaska and you go to bed at the same time every night and turn the lights off, close your eyes, put on an eye mask, and then wake up at the same time in the morning, that will provide the signal to the clock to keep your rhythms properly synchronized. The other thing that people do experience, though, with 24-hour sunlight is an activation Light, as well as shifting the clock, can also be a stimulant. It stimulates the brain, it makes you more alert. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes people will report in the summer, where they have these very long days, feeling very active, not needing much sleep, having quite a good mood, mm. and then when we have less of that light, we may not feel as uh, as happy or have as much alertness. So there's two effects of light, if you like. Light synchronizes the clock, but it also uh, helps maintain your alertness level.
3: The mechanisms behind how light and darkness affect sleep are fascinating. It's the retina that sends signals to the brain to release hormones and melatonin. I wanted to get Steven's advice on how to use this knowledge to our advantage in getting the best sleep possible. So I asked him, what are some things we can do to improve our own sleep, whether we live in the Arctic circle or in the continental
4: United States or anywhere else? So I think, again, the key is light. Uh, I know I keep going back to light, but it's such a powerful biological impact on our sleep and circadian rhythms. Your melatonin rhythm, your natural melatonin rhythm, comes up at about two to three hours before sleep. And so if that melatonin rhythm is the signal of darkness to the brain, having as much darkness as you can two to three hours before you go to bed is going to preserve that signal. Mm. You do that every day, you'll start to shift your body clock a little bit earlier, which means you'll fall asleep a little bit quicker. You'll have better quality sleep. You'll sleep for longer. Doing something relaxing is of course very good to help calm the brain down, but it needs to be something which doesn't involve much light. If you're going to read, read a real book with a dim bedside lamp. Don't read from an iPad. Don't read from a phone. Don't read from a laptop because that light is alerting you. People find that relaxation techniques, uh, meditation, particularly yoga, can be helpful for sleep. But again, they need to be in in a dim environment, if possible. A warm bath is helpful. You need to lose heat Hmm. in order to fall asleep. And so a warm bath or a shower, again, without much light, uh, would be helpful. Take that time out to have that little bit of time for yourself. Those sorts of things will help uh, you fall asleep.
3: That's all for this episode. Join me again next week when we learn about the sleeping habits of the people who study sleep itself. We want to hear from you. Leave a rating or review for our show on your podcast player of choice. You can find me on Twitter at Anahad O'Connor. Until next time, hoping you're living your best while sleeping your best. Chasing Sleep is a production of iHeartRadio in partnership with Mattress Firm. Our executive producer is Molly Sosha. Our EP of Post is James Foster. Our supervising producer is Kia Swinton. Our producer is Sierra Kaiser. This show is hosted by me, Anahad O'Connor.